Totally Football Show, American Edition. In the East, Red Bulls gored in Georgia as Atlanta plots and escape from New York. And in the West, Missouri loves company as Sporting hosts Portland and tries to freshen up a stalemate. MLS Conference Championships, here we go. Hello and welcome to the seventh episode of the Totally Football Show, American Edition. Joining me today and making her last appearance of the season. So sad, Aww. so sad. Canadian national team player, Lauren Sesselman. What's up? You will be missed. No, thank you. <laughs> Returning to the match day squad for the conference finals, the big game player, Venice Beach FC's Tim Walsh. What up, what up? Welcome back. <laughs> and once again, City of Angels FC's PJ Harrison. Hello. Is that it? Hi. You're, you're, the, you're the founder. Come on. You got to be like, hello. How do you find hello? Uh, okay. That, enough. Enough. <laughs> enough. Hello. Enough. We're not, we're not going to go too long into that one. <laughs> All right. So it has been absolutely fabulous so far with the MLS Conference Finals. It's always an exciting time of year. Have to be honest. One a little bit more exciting than the other when it comes down to it. But we are at the halfway stage of the conference championships. New York Red Bulls took a major loss in Atlanta and in the West. It was too close to call between Sporting KC and the Timbers. Um, have to say, not the most exciting game, that second one. But overall, we're in the conference championships. It's halftime, folks. It's halftime out there, and this is an exciting time to see how teams adjust, how they change, and how they deal with the results of the first match and how they come out. It should be exciting. And speaking of exciting, that first game, New York Red Bulls versus Atlanta. I mean, that was pretty spectacular. Red Bulls had an extremely tough time. And what about that atmosphere in Atlanta with the Incredible. opening? Wow. It, if you haven't seen it, folks, go out and take a look at the opening of that game and how Atlanta put on a performance. Don't tell me that that is a football stadium. That is mm. a football slash soccer, sorry everyone out there, stadium because it is. it was amazing. I had never seen something anything like it in my life, and they've done a fantastic job. Um, all right, we're going to get into this game a little bit, and I'm going to go quick through just basically – the result we know that it was a three to zero result where Atlanta put it on New York Red Bulls and so much action. Joseph Martinez steps up in a big way. Your DP player Almaron steps up in a big way. Fabulous. Your sub comes off of the bench. Hector Viaba steps up in a big way. I mean, when you're looking at this game, this is exactly what Tata Martino wanted out of his squad. Team stepping up players stepping up at the right time, formation change where he's playing the three in the back, five in the midfield, and those outside, I, I got to give all the credit in the world to so those outside backs, midfielders, whatever you want to call them, they ate up ground. Tell me, what you guys, I, I'm, I'm going to just jump this one right away into everybody to discuss this one because I thought this was a fabulous game when you're talking about number one versus number two. Mm. Tim. Yeah, I think if everything just from, you see the atmosphere and 
it's hard not to support this Atlanta team with the way they're just jumping into the finals and they look like the team to beat. Um, Jeff Lorenowitz has been, he was a huge presence in that midfield and he's kind of gone under the radar with some of the bigger names around him. But that first goal was just incredible. The composure for Joseph Martinez to not try to take this ball first time out of the air, let it go over Tim Parker's head, settle it, and finish. Like, what a goal. Well, speaking of that goal, I mean, Joseph Martinez, you can see why he scores so many goals, see why all the talk is about him possibly moving on Mm. as well. But I'm going to go a little bit on, uh, you know, on on the devil's advocate. What's Tim Parker doing over there? The way he's actually backing up and then tries to get air, tries to jump up when he's going backwards. It's practically impossible that way. Yeah. His positioning, his body shape just wasn't good on that. And that allowed Joseph Martinez to bring that ball for, down first time. And that was incredible, you know, the way he finished that goal because he actually puts it in front of Robles, yeah, you yeah. know, and into that side netting. It was a crazy ball, but I think it's also, you know, that's these are the probably the situations that occur when you're marking Joseph Martinez for a full game. His movement he loses these defenders. You could see he's such a tricky player for a center back to cover and track throughout the game that it's these little moments he's able to take advantage of. I think it was it set the tone. Um, and then for Red Bulls, obviously, getting a goal called back, Atlanta was able to pounce on him and just take over. What did you think of that? I, I, know, I saw, I saw on Twitter little, yeah, you had yeah. some issues with – you, yeah. know, you had your opinion out there. We quick had a one. lot of people just, you know – saying things back and forth about that call. You know, for me, that was the exact same play of, as how we were in the Olympics playing against France and how we scored our goal. Um, we had Kaylin Kyle that was kind of like right in that same position and didn't touch the ball. And we scored and, you know, obviously we got the, the bronze medal. And so the whole thing is that, you know, it was obstruction. I don't know what you guys think, you know. I mean, I it – it was obstruction, apparently, but I, I don't know. I just think that's such a hard call to make. And there's the rub, right? I mean, by the rules, the letter of the yeah. law, when you see that for that goal where Bradley Wright Phillips scores mm-hmm. and Mule is actually in that offside position and obstructing, you know, it, it, it it's tough. It's tough to say because during the run of play as a player, you're just like, no, he didn't affect anything. But when I saw that camera angle from behind, mm-hmm. you know, you can see that there's actually just, okay, trying to look around. You know, I'm, I'm getting away from the mic because I'm trying to show them looking around. <laughs> you know, the situation. But that, that was obstruction, right? Yeah. And I think it's just, it's the new standard we're going to have to get used to. Um, you know, we've seen it so many times this year. Goals that maybe usually would have been allowed are getting called back just because we have the opportunity to. So, um, yeah, it, it, that moment, I think, could have changed the entire game had they have been able to keep that goal. It, it was a, it's a whole different game. Shifter, yeah. Well, it would have been 1-1 at yeah. that point with the, with the callback. You know, VAR does it again. Yeah. So unlucky against Rebels. And a lot of criticism going on to Chris Armas as head coach yeah. about the way that he came out. Should he have actually allowed his team to sit back and absorb that pressure and allow Atlanta to get that momentum, gain that momentum at home, or should he have let New York play as they usually do, which is push the pace of the game and step up? So a lot of criticism there. There will be a lot of talk about that one in the future. But now we got to go to the next exciting game <laughs> of sporting 
versus Portland. I, I mean, I, I, I was expecting a lot more from this match. It was up in Portland in the Rose City. You know, I mean, we were thinking, okay, on turf, there'd be a distinct advantage for Portland. Um, how did you think they played out, how, the, how this game played out? I think there was a lot of chances, but it was almost like a defensive chess match. Both teams not really uh, wanting to commit fully forward and take those risks. Um, and I'd say if you look at both sides, there was good defensive displays on both ends. I thought uh, Tim Melia came up pretty big. I think he had six saves on the night. Um, Highlight reel. Yeah. Highlight reel. Mm-hmm. Do, do, do. I'm saying a few of those saves were, yeah. I mean, it's right next to him. He hey, did the extra jump. And then, then, the, then the extension of the ball <laughs> when playoffs. it's in his hands already. Oh, you look know? at this save. You know? we, got, we got extra TV numbers. We got to really <laughs> show our stuff. Uh, but, yeah, it was a – it was uh it was a first leg, so I think obviously nobody can hold back in the second leg. Every you know, it's zero zero. It's there's there's a lot that can happen um in that second leg with away goals and one goal deciding the whole series. So that's what I always think is exciting about this as we're going into almost you know, for everyone out there like that Champions League format where it's, you know, home and away. Zero zero, like you just said, you think, okay, sporting has the advantage at home playing on grass rather than turf. Let's not forget how difficult that is. I, being away from the game of actually playing it, I tend to forget at times how much I hated playing on turf. You know? and, and I understand that turf is different you know, in this day and age from when I played, but still, I, I just didn't like it. So sporting has the advantage now playing a grass at home, but the away goal, all they've got to do is get one. You know, and Savarese's side... You know, they've been notorious for absorbing pressure and breaking out and finding a way to get a goal. Yeah. I mean, who do you think has the advantage in this one? Lauren. You know, <laughs> that's a hard one. I really think that sporting has it going going into this game. I mean, anytime you get to play at home, you know, having the fans and the atmosphere. But, I mean, that game is a testament. Like, Portland had six shots on goal and 14 shots total. I mean – they they are a good team, so you never know you know what's going to happen with Valeri and Evo BC, and I love watching those players play. So um, I think it's going to be a really exciting match, but I might have to go for KC on this one. KC on that one. Yeah. I, I, hey, you know, you said one name there that I, I think you know could be this playoff MVP in Diego Valeri. Mm-hmm. He has been absolutely fantastic. And for me, this falls this falls right into the hands of Portland. You know, I mean, we know Kansas City is a strong side, but Portland does this all the time. You know, they, they go through the first. Yes, they would have liked to have gotten a goal and had the victory at home, but they're still in a good position. As you said, they can if they get one goal, they're in prime position. <laughs> and all of a sudden that away rule, away goal rule comes into effect and they're sitting pretty. Yeah. And this Kansas City team, they've they've done so well this year, scoring a lot of goals, but defensively they've let up quite a bit. So I think there's a lot of holes in that defense that can be exploited by somebody like Valeri. You give him yeah. two games, I'm sure he'll do it in at least one of them. Yeah, and I like to see, you know, it's, if it's, and I, I, I'm still wondering out there, Ebobisi, Ebobise, Ebo, someone tell me exactly <laughs> how to pronounce his name on Twitter, Instagram, whatever, how, however it is. But Jeremy has, he, you can see the maturity continue along. And if he is effective as far as getting behind the lines, breaking those lines and spreading apart those back four in any way, that just opens up more, more room for Valeri inside. And he's, he's been fantastic all the way around. Um, 
exciting times. Looking for this Thursday. It's going to be great when we look at these two teams. You have Red Bulls hosting Atlanta. You have Sporting Kansas City hosting Portland. Thursday, this is going to be something to watch for. It's going to be an exciting day. All day Thursday is going to be football, soccer, whatever you want to call it. Good times. All right, that's going to do it for part one. Join us after the break when we'll be discussing Ashley Cole's release and how he may be the last of a dying breed. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, American Edition. For sales and advertising, please contact hello at muddykneesmedia.com. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Totally Football Show, American Edition. While Kansas, Portland, Red Bulls, and Atlanta fight it out for the cup, the league's other teams have been ruthless, absolutely ruthless, in preparation for next season's campaign. Sess, you got something on this? Yes. Orlando fired their GM, Nikki Budlick, and your beloved Galaxy continues to make big changes as they released eight players yesterday, including the fans' player of the season, Ashley Cole, he was joined by Baggio Husidic, who was the last remaining player from the victorious 2014 team. Michael Ciani, Brian Sylvester, Ariel Lassiter, Sheenan Williams, Rolf Fletcher, and Servando Carrasco. Wow. I mean, uh, you, you can see it. it's, a, it's a gutting of the team. You know, basically, you're getting rid of them. But let's, let's be honest. When we talk about all this, as we know, within MLS, or maybe you don't know, a lot of this happens as negotiating tactics where you are still involved in the negotiations with these very players. So that some, yes, it could be all said and done, but I guarantee you the LA Galaxy is still talking to some of those players. One of those players, I guarantee you they're still talking to you because, you know, as you said, fan favorite Ashley Cole was actually released, you know, from the uh, LA Galaxy. So the big question, is he going to stay on? You know, is he going to retire? I, I mean, I mean this this is this is a tough one. I, I tend to think from from the way that Ashley Cole played in this last season, it makes no sense that the Galaxy would let him go. There were too many times in this season that Ashley Cole was the best player on the field. You know, he was giving it up defensively. He was getting forward down the field. He was what you want in a wing back. You know, so you could argue probably one of the best left backs in the league so why would you let him go you know it, you know possible negotiations still going on there uh, arguably one of the best uh fullbacks of the modern era yeah i think he played out of his mind this year for at times for the galaxy but you got to remember that looking at this club there's a, a lot of names on that list let go um there's a lot of big salaries on there you look at somebody like like rolf felcher Venezuelan national team guy he's you know there was a lot expected of him coming in Michael Ciani he's getting paid nicely um how much of this is to make room for Zlatan on the salary Zlatan deserves and to create space within their you know their roster and salary cap maybe maybe the plan is to give uh Ashley Cole a cheaper deal to be able to keep Zlatan but there's a lot going on at that club right now and it's kind of tough to make sense of it. Yeah, but uh, how, how does the negotiation work, Kobe? If you're cut by a team, 
that's not the end of the story, right? You still no. That's what I said. You can still negotiate, and that and that's what's happened. I've seen it over the years when I was coaching with the Galaxy, I, and when I and when I was playing, a lot of players get cut, and then there's a negotiation process that happens, and then they're back on the team. You know, they probably let's be honest, they've been, uh, you know bargain downed so to speak so they don't have as much so i guarantee you someone's probably saying to ashley yeah we we need to bring your number down a bit so we can get the numbers of where we want to be now how does that affect a player of ashley cole's pedigree Mm -hmm. and that i'm gonna take less money when he knows that he's probably been one of the better players on that team and when we talk about why that is i'm not necessarily sure it's for ibrahimovic the numbers that ibrahimovic is i'm sure i'm sure is wanting it's not going to be affected by some of these players like felsher and something like that for for me i think they've got to find a way to move a dp you know if you want to make ibrahimovic happy unless and and look everyone out there there's always you know we know there's dp players there's young dps there's tam money there's all these okay sponsorship outside deals that happen to try to make things you know work around the system but when it comes down to it, what a player like Ibrahimovic deserves after his performance, it's at a DP level. I'm not sure they're going to get it in le- by taking some of these players that we mentioned off of the squad. I think you have to move a DP, you know, to make him happy. You know, now that that's going to be the big question. And and then the other question is, who's going to be making these decisions right now? I mean, there's a lot of rumors going on. We're talking about, is Dominic Kinnear still going to be the head coach? There hasn't been an, an announcement there yet. There is a lot of talk about Dennis Teclosa some, coming back and coming in as the head of soccer operations for the LA Galaxy. Now, some of you out there might know that name. Uh, is the fact that he is the current director of the Mexico national teams. So he has a lot of responsibility there. But also, for all the LA Galaxy fans out there, he was in 2005 to 2008 the director of Chivas USA. So very interesting that a former Chivas USA <laughs> director is could be coming into the LA Galaxy in a, a head of soccer operations. You know, And there's a lot of talk that he's already been having conversations with Dominic Kinnear as possibly staying on as the head coach. So a lot of intrigue going on over there. Um, if those conversations are happening, that's telling that's telling everyone that DeClosa is the one that's going to be making that decision. Just, just on Ashley Cole, you know, this is a player who spent a large part of his career in England being called Cashley. So for him to move to LA not as a DP and then potentially be prepared to come down his number again, you know, he's he's playing for the right reasons right now. For fun. For the love of the game, yeah, you know. So, so, you, so you're saying that he might stay on with a lower deal? No, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I, I've seen him linked with a number of uh, of English clubs. I'd be surprised, um, but he's still in good shape. He's still performing well. So, so maybe. Um, but no, this this uh, MLS negotiation tactic is uh, layers beyond. But, you know, yeah, there's layers upon layers. And stuff. Yes, yes. You've got you've got to have a good idea of how the system works there, um, and you've got to have good relationships within the league office and with all the other teams. That's just that's just the nature of how it works. Um, let's talk about like some of these expansion sides. You know, mm-hmm. we're talking about Atlanta and LAFC. I know you have mentioned that you think that this is th- that they've set some standards. Yeah, I think the likes of Ashley Cole. We may see more, less and less of those uh, coming into the league because LAFC, you know, they went with Vaya. 
not the most obvious DP, but it makes complete sense when you look at, at the picture on and off the field. And then in Atlanta, we've seen them targeting talented young uh, South American players. All four teams are in the playoffs still. I don't have one of these big-name Euro DPs. And I think only three of the 12 playoff teams did. So, I'm, you know, I, I think this is a trend away from the, in inverted commas, retirement league transfer activity towards going for younger, talented guys. And I think we've seen a bit of a paradigm shift with the Alfonso Davies transfer to Bayern for, for a you know, pretty significant fee and with the recruitment of Atlanta and LAFC. And I, I would think that more teams now are going to look at that. And the teams without an imagination, <coughs> Galaxy, are going <laughs> to maybe get left behind a little when it comes to this type of recruitment. Well, maybe this is what the, all the talk of the operations. You know, I've been a big advocate. I don't think you can continue along the path of just buying the big name, buying the big name all the time. That doesn't work. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise a point with you. I, I do not... I do not. I agree with you with the way the trend is going. I do not agree with you that those are the teams that have done it. For me, as far as find, finding those young foreign players, I think we go back and we look at Real Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. I think that they were the first ones that kind of went in and brought in the 20-somethings uh, that were from like in Venezuela or, or wherever, finding those young talents in that came in and performed with those players wanting to play here and some, some of them wanting to use this as a stepping stone. Uh, and then on the flip side, as far as development, when you talk about like Alfonso Davies, I think the original in that that really set the trend was FC Dallas, where they have had multiple players that have come through their academy system that have been talents. Now, some of them have gone overseas. We talk about Weston McKinney, you know, or and then we talk about some that have come straight through and they're still within the league, but are still looking to go overseas and like Kellen Acosta. You know, so this that's the trends. I think they get the credit, you know, for me, where you really start seeing it. I think. Atlanta and LAFC saw the future and went the right route to bring mm-hmm. that top talent in. And also we may see uh, Zach Steffen go to Man City, mm-hmm. which, which is, you know, because Pep, the, the thing with Joe Hart, this is a guy who, even as reserve keeper, has to be a footballer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's a, a very complimentary link for him and what an opportunity that would be for him. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And, and that, that's part of the issue where we're still at, like a player like uh, Stefan is thinking, okay, I make this big move. I might be on the bench, but I'm set. You know, yeah. he, he's making that one big move, and now he's set for life, and he can p- has the potential to rise even higher. That that's extremely important for young players. You know, to have that security because right now in MLS, still for those for those players, there's not that security of just like okay. I've got that big contract. If something happens to me, I'm set for life. No, mm-hmm. that, that's not there. So everyone's still looking for it now. Now. Going beyond that, jumping in, we talk about this expansion with Cincinnati. You know, coming in, we got that draft coming up. Hmm. You know, and and I know you're you you're thinking what Ashley Cole's going to go to Cincinnati? <laughs> no, nah, man, that ain't that ain't going to happen. Sorry to tell you right there, he, he's he's not going to happen. Uh, he's not going there. Look, the expansion draft is is interesting because and for those of you that don't know about it we'll give you just a general idea and to be quite honest we talk about Machiavellian well this is it as well new teams coming in can there's five rounds they can add five players to their incoming roster you can pick one player from a current team and then after that player is picked that team is taken off of the draft so like Cincinnati can pick someone from the LA Galaxy LA Galaxy can protect the teams can protect a, a, 10 or 11 players around there. 
But after that, everyone's free to be picked. So Cincinnati can come and pick one, and then they're off the ra- off from the board. It's interesting how Cincinnati has done it, and I'm going to go a little bit longer into this because Cincinnati was very smart. As a USL team coming into MLS, knowing that they're going in, they made deals the previous season to get some top talent within MLS to go to actually the players to drop down into the USL for a year on probably on a big con- big contract so that they can move up into the team. So they've actually they'll be able to pick five from the draft. Then they'll also have two that were already MLS players. Remember Fernando Adi, a former Portland player, Fatai Alashi from uh, Dallas. You know, and then they're looking pretty. So they're going to have seven MLS players right off the bat. And then Tim, you were saying something that everybody wants to hear: new teams coming in the difference what they get compared to teams that are already established yeah i mean the the league kind of sets it up that you they're able to create a competitive team um you know looking at the money yeah (laughs) they they have they have the freedom to do so as we've seen with atlanta and la um the one thing i think looking at at this team is like you said they've got a couple of players who could fit in their starting lineup already uh you know fernando adi and fatai alashi they were they were top players when they were in form in the league and didn't really fizzle out they just kind of jumped ship early which was you know a bold move from cincinnati i think uh who's their agent they knew what they were doing right (laughs) um but yeah, the league set up, these guys are going to be able to take their pick of, you know, a lot of talented players from each team in the league and then build around that. So it's not easy, um, but, you know, look at look at the two expansion teams and how they've done the last couple of years between L.A. and and uh, Atlanta and even Minnesota. Well, it, it's like you said, you're not you don't have the constraints on you yet. You have that freedom, you know, to go pick out players. You're not dealing with the, oh, I've got to get rid of this player so I can make room for this player. You're coming in as a free boat and being able to get top talent and place everything correctly from the start. You're not having to adjust from maybe a few years of bad decisions somewhere along the line. So it allows you that freedom off the bat. There's a great clip on YouTube of uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. So first season, the expansion draft, similar situation. That's hockey. Hockey, everyone. Yeah. He, he's, he, jumped, he jumped the shark into, into hockey. Ice hockey. Good. Yeah, sure. Um, but, you know, the, the coach says to every player, you're here because your team didn't protect you. And they use that as motivation to, to nearly go and win the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, th- I thought that was pretty inspirational. Yeah, it's fantastic. I tell you, if you haven't seen a Golden Knights game, go see it. It's amazing. Just, just saying, just on a side <laughs> this note. This guy's out there. doing everything he can <laughs> to get to Las Vegas. <laughs> uh, let's go to Vegas. Anybody with me? All right. Okay. Uh, there's you have something on the subject? Yes. JB Faye Dundee on Twitter asks, is there something in the MLS rulebook that stops bigger teams buying up all the talent from smaller teams, as is typically seen in the European leagues? <laughs> JB, contract. <laughs> no, no, no. To, to be honest, that's the, there is a little bit of a difference. I think what he's getting at is just like a big team not just coming in and just buying up all the top talent. Yeah. Well, we have a salary cap, you know, is one of the big issues there that you can't go over except for a few players, which are called DP players, those designated players that you can pay whatever you want. We also have the young DP player. We also have TAM money where you can buy player salaries down. Uh, then there's also probably contracts that are on the side. So you know, there's a few <laughs> there's a few ways to get around things here. But but in general, in general, we 
there's there's rules that you have to be under a certain amount and that kind of limits what you can do as i mentioned a little bit earlier as far as being held by the constraints of previous previous uh staffs you know that that's what it comes down to uh it's it's complicated you know we can we can talk about it more in the future as as we delve more into it because another funny thing is it changes all the time the different rules because we also have the the collective bargaining agreement that every few years that changes. We're talking about free agency, you know, all the different drafts. As you get more teams coming into the league, I guarantee you it's going to change some more. So a lot to talk about. And talking about collective bargaining agreements, you've got something on a different league. Yeah, so Hoss on the Hills of the NWSL recognizes the women's union last week. Uh, USL players have unionized. And the league has recognised them as having the exclusive labour negotiating rights, so it's catching. You know, it's important. You know, from the yeah. players' perspective, right? This is what you want. You want the players to have a little bit more power. You know, I think it's for the say. benefits of the league. Definitely, definitely. I think it helps out. It forces the owners to come in there and have some type of conversation with their employees. You know, so I, I think it's good. It's good to see that that collective bargaining agreement uh, or collective bargaining group has been recognized you mm-hmm. know by the usl um okay we're about getting ready to wrap things up here at the totally football show american edition but before we go Sess, you have some questions from social media yes Christoph's paddock on twitter asks how does the u.s move beyond pay to play and expand the pool of potential athletes there is a ronaldo out there who was not playing the game how do we involve them well <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's another, another subject that we yeah, could go a long, long, long way episode, on I think. Um, <laughs> pay to play this is something the City of Angels that, that, that we've been addressing how do you provide in a sustainable way accessible football because the whole rest of the world this is the people's game It's you know we used to play with a squashed can of coke because we didn't really have a ball at, at school or whatever and there should be no $200 per month barrier to entry to find the talent because otherwise those kids are going to go to other places and typically speaking the world's great football players come from low-income backgrounds so there are organizations like city of angels uh tim to an extent with venice beach you, that's something you work with as well right yeah and i mean my two cents is we just gotta have the overall community support these programs. So um, rather than, you know, each community having multiple soccer businesses slash travel clubs, Mm -hmm. we find ways that, you know, big powers within the community, like we're trying to do in Venice is allow, you know, the community to raise the funds so that everyone has a chance. Um, And for that to happen, you need businesses, you need organizations that are interested and care enough to do so. so. Yeah. So, so at the moment, it, it falls to kind of outsider organizations to use private funds. One of the big issues is the scarcity of fields and the monopolization of those fields by nonprofits who who are technically nonprofit but isn't isn't necessarily the same as a charity. And uh, yeah, th- we we could probably spend another hour on on that. But yeah, th- there's a lot of work to be done by U.S. soccer, by the cities, by clubs, uh, you know, everybody top to bottom. Look, it's a, it's a worthy discussion. Um, let's not think, though, that this is uh, how it's always been. You know, when I was growing up, you know, soccer was how it is everywhere around the world. I played at my local club. I didn't drive, you know, as I see today, 
people driving you know 30 40 minutes an hour to go play on the right club as lauren gives a little two hours two hours see that, that <laughs> to and from that. every day in mm. high school had no that's general no results. chance but no look chance. what happened look what happened <laughs> yeah but see you you would argue for you would argue for that for me I was a local club. You play there and you just play against your local competition and you try to make the best of the situation. That's what you see in, mm-hmm. in most areas around around the world. But, you know, I don't know how many English I have come up to me and say, oh, yeah, I played at Manchester United or I played at Manchester <laughs> City. It's like, wait a second. So you lived in Manchester. And they're like, yeah, so everyone plays for those, you know. Well, every, you know yeah. <laughs> That's I, it, you know. Well, I used to play against uh, Steven Gerrard, you know, and, and his Wiston team used to smash everybody. We we lost 2-0 once and it was like a big deal, you know, the, like a victory. And, you know, that was the area of town that he lived in and – it wasn't a fancy club. There wasn't really good coaching or anything. It was just if you're good enough. You know, the, these cities are so well covered by their clubs that Liverpool or Everton or Manchester United will at least look at you. And right. that isn't necessarily the case here. And, that, and that's the key. When we talk about, okay, obviously monopolization of fields, that's an important part of it. But I think another huge part is is can... Can those players go to these teams that are, are aren't necessarily the best teams in the area, but they're local and you're playing and still be seen and still have a chance to get forward? Because that's what a lot of parents want. They want the, that chance for their kid to be seen so they can either get a scholarship or they can go pro. And and that's just the nature of it. It's never going to change. Well, they're not getting now. a scholarship, are they? I mean, how many scholarships go out there for pro soccer you'd be surprised there's a well no no not for pro soccer i'm talking for for college i would say there's a lot more scholarships going out than there are for because remember it's division one two you know you can get scholarships there Mm. there's a lot more of those scholarships going out than there are players that are going to make it pro you know (laughs) would you rather so uh would you rather go to an academy at 16 and develop from the age of 16 to 21 like john stones did via barnsley b barnsley a Everton B, Everton A, Man City, England, or spend three or four years at college playing against one other elite level player every three games. Well, if we're, okay, we're we're on a soccer show, so obviously, if you were, we're talking from the soccer's perspective, yes, you want him to go up and move up, you know, like John Stones did. Now, I, my argument to you is, how many players did John Stones play with through those different clubs that did not make it? You know, so yeah. for every one John Stone, you know, there, there's probably like four or five thousand that are probably sitting on the sidelines going, man, I didn't make it. What am I going to do now? Yeah. All of those kids who played for Manchester United uh, under 15s are put there for that one diamond. Right. So they all think they have a shot yeah. and and they do. But really, they're there so that the guy has enough quality to play around for. Phase development. Exactly. And those other other 15s, they're out here in the U.S. and California doing soccer camps. That's exactly what's going on. You know, that's exactly what's going on. Shout out to uh, Brett, Cuba. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Yeah. So true. A- anyone else got an opinion on this? Because like you yeah. said, we could talk about oh, this for oh, hours. Yeah. Look, I think, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to, it's obviously different for the female side. You see, we have two players. You have Mallory Pugh and, and Lindsay Horan that kind of bypass that and now they're playing pro but they're also getting paid very well and have the sponsorships and stuff like that i'm always an advocate when i'm telling my when i'm mentoring these kids to definitely go and go to school and get your your you know yeah your degree and everything just because yes. especially for for females like the rate i mean then you play like one or two years maybe and because the money's just not there so mm-hmm. i i don't know it's just different from the women's side from 
obviously, if I was a no, male player, I, it'd be I, different. I think that makes sense. The, the, the phrase in football has always been, if you're good enough, you'll get seen. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's true in, in the U.S. Well, I think, Kobe, you said two interesting things. You said you go to this club to get scouted or do you go you know, to play with good players? I think there's, scouting-wise, with the internet, the amount of people, the way everything's connected, if you're good enough, you'll eventually get the opportunity unless you're living under a rock somewhere um you know that's u.s soccer's philosophy too (laughs) (laughs) but like for instance to justify driving two hours to training to go play with this club or academy that might be the best level and the best way to develop by is continually being in a good situation like that so rather than being scouted by you know the galaxy academy early you're going and you're playing with the best players because I think there's not enough good situations that that can develop talent. You know, um, Gordon Strachan said to, uh, in an interview with uh, Graham Hunter, I think, he was he was coaching or talking to kids at, at youth level in Scotland and they were driving through necessity because that was, didn't you know, there's a lot of rural areas there in, in Scotland. They were driving for that distance. They were going playing in the mud. They were touching the ball in 11-11 uh, yeah, I don't know, 30 times during the game. And he was saying to the parents, it's better for the kid to kick the ball against the wall at home for four hours than for you to drive, you know, an hour each way, play 90 minutes, touch the ball 20 times. It's lost time. Yeah. It's lost time that you could be training. You know, I, I completely agree with that. But I, 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 Tim, I'll t- I'm going to take this up with you. I think there's still people that aren't being seen. If you look at the urban communities, you get, you get left out. And now there's, when we're talking about younger ages where there's talent, you know, where everyone's, you know, relatively close and there's some that might be good. But if they're not seen, because it's not just about being seen when you're older, it's being seen at the right time. You know, because if you're not seen at a younger age and you're, and you're just like, okay, well, someone will see them at the right time. Well, at, eventually they just go like, oh, this, is, this isn't good. I'm not going to do it anymore. So you, we don't have enough scouts, coaches, whatever, with the players from a young age all the way up developing those players so that they can always be good. Don't don't worry, time. We'll, 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 you can no, cut this I, down. I, okay, <laughs> <laughs> but but we we have to make sure that these these kids have that opportunity. My, I would say, look at all the players that you that you have that go through in the Latino communities that have not been seen by U.S. soccer, not been seen by MLS, but have said, okay, well, forget it. I'm going down. I'm going to Mexico. And they go straight into Mexico as they have taken the time and actually gone into those different communities and have been been seen. Now, I know you would say, well, yeah, they were seen finally. Yeah, but just imagine if that's happening in that community, what about all the different communities when we talk about the, the, the black community? We talk about women's soccer in different areas. We talk about rural communities. You know, it, it, it happens. It yeah. happens. And even in just regular, regular, normal communities, I don't think it's seen. In the, in the black community, because, you know, you've spoken to me before about when you were growing up. This is, you know, why is this black kid playing soccer? This this isn't his sport. Is that... Well, then is, you're getting a whole other racial no, thing. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. But is that... Do you think that's still a factor? Is this still seen as a, as a predominantly white or Hispanic sport here? Oh, yes. Definitely. Definitely. A hundred percent. I would say there's giving a lot more attention into the Hispanic community mm-hmm. as compared to the black community, for sure. As Tim, Tim just said, it's, yeah. it's definitely. But I argue every time I used to drive down to the same, to the stadium and I would drive through Baldwin Hills, my argument was, is like, look at this. Look at the kids now in, in this urban black community. You don't see them wearing uh, 
so much like the NFL jerseys and all that stuff around the streets. What do you see them wearing? You see them wearing Paris Saint Germain. Mm-hmm. You see them wearing Man City jerseys. You see them wearing like the Adidas and Nike and the Sambas and the and the the, the flats all for soccer. That's what you see now. Right. That is the culture. But it's still that recognition of that love for the game in those communities has not been addressed. I think by the higher ups, they still just kind of drive through. They drive through. So those they're, they're enjoying the culture. They're playing fee from the Xbox, but they're not being empowered to participate in the actual sport. It, exactly. That's exactly yeah. it. That's yeah. Uh, yeah, that's got to get fixed. Okay, so we, we, went, we went a little bit over, folks, but it's, it's an important subject. Okay, that's going to do it for us for episode seven. Actually, I do seven. have a question, Colby. Oh, man, look at this. Uh, PJ's just jumping in on me. Pal uh, underscore Cobra on Instagram. Colby, please explain how your hair grew so quickly during the 2002 World Cup. <laughs> how it grew so quickly during the 2002 World Cup? What are you talking about? Did he... Did he <laughs> Maybe it was all the the good, interesting, and new foods I was eating over there in South Korea. Because it was the norm, man. That was it was always. Did you always go in like shorts that. and come out long or what? No, no, I don't know what he's talking about. But you know, I just you know, I was looking. I'm going to have to Google some. Yeah, Google some, some 2002 pics, pictures. I was speaking of the World Cup. Can uh-huh. we just say that we have two more women's teams? Oh added? yes, congratulations! Yes, we got yes, we have two more added. So now we're at 22 of the 24 teams. South Africa and Nigeria qualified, and Fiji plays New Zealand on Saturday to see who goes through, and then Cameron plays Mali on Friday to see who goes through for those final two spots. So December 8th is when the draw is, and you boys are going to be here talking about it. I know you're going to miss me on that one. Yeah, but. we will. <laughs> yes, we will. Uh, where are you going? My brother is getting married. Uh, Winter Wonderland? Winter Wonderland, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely Don't do love it. it. <laughs> Don't do it, Seth. No, just kidding. I love you, Mary. <laughs> okay, that's going to do it for us for episode seven. I'd like to thank Seth, who, who you can find on Instagram at L. Sesselman. Thanks, guys, for having me. Yeah, she's not going to be back. Oh, I'll miss you. See ya. We'll miss you, too. <laughs> Tim, whose handle is twalsh.88. Okay, forget it. Oh, don't say anything, Tim. Just just sit there and stare. <laughs> PJ, who you can, yeah. PJ, who you can find at Harry Vision. Thanks. Okay. And a reminder, you can follow myself at Kobe Jones 13 and the show at Totally American on Instagram at TFS American on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you again next Friday as we prepare for the big one, the MLS Cup Final. 